When I was a kid, we used to play across the street in the woods. Across from the, uh, our, our, uh, in our neighborhood, we had this wooded area that we would play. And one of the things that we used to do, now this is not an example to follow. Uh, so uh, children and adults, this is a bad thing, do not do this. Uh, but we used to start fires. Uh, we'd put them out. We weren't starting forest fires, um, but we would we'd start little grass fires and kind of stomp them out, uh, except for the time that we didn't stomp it all the way out. And there was a fire, like a real fire. And uh, so so we we go back and we try to put this thing out, but it won't it won't go out. So I had to go get my dad. And I ran to the top of the hill. I ran up another hill to get to our house. And uh, I throw open the door and I tell I, I say to my dad, Dad. Somebody started a fire in the woods. <laughs> uh, now, kids, let me let you in on a little secret. Your parents know. Like, they know. But anyway, so I, I tell my dad, and he rushes down there with a the shovel. He's going to try to, you know, throw some dirt on it, see if we can do something to stop this fire. It wasn't working, and so the fire department had to come put this thing out. Now, the rest of the day, my parents were trying to... They were asking me who did it. Uh, they were really trying to get me to admit that I was part of the group that started it. They kept asking me who did it, and I kept trying to find somebody else. Somebody else was guilty. It wasn't me. Trying to shift the blame to anybody else that I could, but the problem was I smelled a whole lot like smoke. You know what I mean? So I was the guilty party. Why, why do we do this, though? Why do we shift blame or why do we point fingers at, at other people? Why do we try to justify ourselves? It's because that we know that we're guilty and we also know that we cannot bear the weight of our own guilt. We can smell our own smoke. We can't bear the weight of this guilt and we want somebody else to bear it for us. You know, there are many miracles in the Bible. You can read about them in, in, in the scriptures, or if you have a children's storybook Bible, you can probably find the miracles. You know, Jesus walks on water, and, and, and Jesus feeds 5,000, and all these miracles. But there is nothing more miraculous than this. God justifies the ungodly. That God treats bad people as if they are good people. How can this be? You know, I think we have a pretty good sense of justice. Woven into our being is this desire to, to see that evil is punished. Even the youngest child understands justice. If, if a toy is stolen from a young child, they want to see justice served. But here's the thing about justice. We really want justice applied to other people. But when it comes to us, that makes us pretty uneasy. We squirm a little bit when, when we, want to, we want justice applied to ourselves. When somebody lies, we demand justice. But when I lie, well, it was just a white lie and it's not that big of a deal or or. You know, I wouldn't have had to lie if this hadn't happened over here. We, we want to justify ourselves or shift blame. But all the while we're justifying ourselves, all the while our consciences are uneasy. It's because we smell our own smoke. We know we're guilty. 
Is there a moment in your life of which you could think, I wish I could go back and do that over again? Because if I could, I, I sure would change some things. I wish I could trade my, the record of my life. I wish I could trade that for somebody else's. God justifies the ungodly. The book of Romans tells us that God is, is the judge and he's the justifier. He's the one who judges evil and he's also the one who can make it possible for us to be forgiven. And if God forgives us, what else matters? And so this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 53. You can turn there. Isaiah 53. The prophet Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. He prophesied to the northern kingdom and to the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And he told them, God's judgment is coming. Due to your, your wickedness, your continued idolatry, your continued injustice, God's judgment is coming. And this is what had been promised from the very beginning of uh, Israel as a nation. Uh, God, God told them, if you will obey me, I will bless you in this land. If you disobey me, I'm going to curse you in this land. And actually what's going to happen is I'm going to exile you from this land. I'm going to kick you out. And I'm going to scatter you as a people among the nations and give this promised land to somebody else. And now what Isaiah does in his prophecy is he says, that is coming to pass. Assyria is coming. Babylon is coming. We're going to scatter the people of Israel and of Judah across the world. But then as you kind of continue through the book of Isaiah, you find he turns from this message of judgment to this message of hope. That even though judgment is coming, there is one who is coming. Someone in the future is going to come save the day. And God's people will be restored. God will keep his promises that he made to Abraham and to David. He's going to keep these promises. And and it's going to come through the, the work of this person. This servant king who is to come. So the rest of Isaiah kind of reads this, this hopeful, victorious message but but as you read about this servant this one who is to come there's there's four poems about him and as you read these poems you find out that this victory and this hope really doesn't come in the way that you think it might as a matter of fact we're going to look at the fourth servant song and it's called the suffering servant isaiah 53 verse 1 is what we're going to look at it it kind of picks up in the middle. Let's, let's read this together. The Bible says, Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hey, let's, let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we ask that your word would pierce our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would do work this morning that only he can do. Open our minds to understand the scriptures this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we read this text, and as you read Isaiah, you'll find this, that salvation has come to the nations. That's us. Salvation has come to the nations through the suffering servant king who will shield his people from punishment by suffering in their place. That's what you find in Isaiah pointing forward to to who else but Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's look at the text in a little bit more detail. Uh, Chapter 53, verse 1, begins with two questions. The first question is this, who has believed our message? This isn't a roll call, raise your hand if you believe this. That's, that's That's not what he's asking. What it really means is this message is hard to understand. Who can believe this message? This is a difficult thing that I'm about to share, uh, that, that I'm going to save the day. God's going to save the day through these things. Who, who can believe this message? And the second question is like it. To whom has, it, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord in the Old Testament is his saving power, his might, his deliverance. The Bible says that when the Lord delivered the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, this was done by the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord is what will deliver his people from the clutches of sin and death. The question is, who understands this? You can't figure it out on your own. You don't come to this this conclusion on your own. You have to have it revealed to you. To whom has this been revealed, is the question. Why is this difficult to understand? What is so astonishing about it? There are a lot of things. We're just going to move really quickly through it. Um, In verse 2, it says that the servant king is from of old, and also he is the one that's yet to come. Both things. The imagery in Isaiah is that there is a stump like a tree stump, and that stump is called Jesse. Jesse is the royal line. Jesse's son is David. So there's this stump, and the servant king that's to come is both the root and the shoot of this stump of Jesse. That's hard to understand. How can this be? Also in verse 2, it says that he doesn't look like a king. There's nothing about him that stands out, and he doesn't look like one. See, Saul, King Saul was tall, and he looked like, man, that guy ought to be king. And David, they they say he looked exactly like you would expect a king to look. But this servant king, the one who's to come, he's not going to look like what you think he will. There's nothing really that stands out about the one who is to come. And then in verse 3, it says that the servant king is mistreated. In all of these ways, it says he was mistreated. I flipped the wrong page. It says he was despised. Uh, He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and he was not esteemed. 
That's not how a king should live his life. And yet, that's what's going to take place. And then finally, beginning in verse 4 and continuing through verse 6, the most astonishing piece of it all, this servant king is going to suffer in our place. It tells us that he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was stricken. He was smitten by God. He was afflicted. And then in verse 5 it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Those two statements are parallel. They just mean the same thing. It means he suffered. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He suffered on the cross because of what we did. Because of our guilt. Because of our wickedness, Jesus suffered. You know, our greatest need, the, a, a human's greatest need is peace with God. That because of our sin, we, we are actually at enmity with God. We are separated. We are at war. Our greatest need is peace with our Creator. And the Bible says here that we can have peace with God because of His chastisement. Because of what He endured, we can have peace with God. By His stripes we are healed. By His stripes, not by my stripes, by His stripes we are healed. The iniquity of us all is laid on Him, the servant King, the one who is to come, Jesus Christ. In these ways, salvation has come to the nations through this suffering servant who will shield his people from punishment by suffering in their place. So this morning, I want you to consider two things and I want you to reject two things. So consider two things first. I want you to consider this. You are guilty. You are guilty. We, we don't have to uh, present evidence here this morning. I don't have to, to pull out, you know, the, your, the book of your life and show you. You know it. We know it. Everybody's guilty. There's no one that escapes that. We can smell our own smoke. But the second thing that I want you to consider, not only that you are guilty, but the second thing is this. There is one who stands to take your guilt away. When the Lord Jesus was crucified, the Father poured out his anger on his own Son. The wrath of God, his fierce anger and hatred towards sin. He poured out his, his wrath on his own Son. Not for crimes that the Son had committed, but because of our iniquity. Because of our transgressions. He poured out his wrath on his own son, that anyone who places their faith in Jesus can be forgiven of their sin. And he takes your guilt away. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't pretend like it's not there. He takes it away. You are guilty, but there is one who stands to take your guilt away. The second thing, I want you to reject two things. The first thing that I want you to reject is this. I want you to reject the temptation to wallow in guilt and shame. 
When we walk in wickedness, or we take a step into wickedness, we have a tendency to walk in guilt and shame. And that is, that is a temptation that I want you to reject. Instead, I want you to rejoice and hope because God loves to forgive people. Nobody's twisting his arm. Nobody's forcing God to forgive. It's not a last resort. God forgives because he wants to, and it's plan A for him to forgive. He loves to forgive. God loves to justify the ungodly. So if your faith is in Jesus this morning, you don't bear the weight of your guilt and shame. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we can die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Not guilty anymore. The second thing I want you to reject is this. I want you to reject the temptation to feel sorry for Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus. You know, we sinned and he had to suffer in our place. Oh, yeah, he suffered. There's no doubt about that. His suffering was real. His stripes were bloody. His hands were pierced. The blood dripped from his brow. But the cross isn't something that happened to Jesus. Oh, no. No one took his life. He laid it down of his own accord. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised its shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross is Jesus' victory. It is not a defeat. And by his cross, we are forgiven. Jesus died in your place. He suffered for you. And in his suffering, he made atonement for your sins. You can have peace with God through faith in Jesus. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, it is possible for you to be ultimately and forever forgiven. And if God has forgiven you, isn't that enough? So the question is this. Who has believed this message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? God justifies the ungodly by suffering in their place. This morning before you, we've looked at the scriptures and I have told you. The arm of the Lord has been revealed. His saving power, his mighty deliverance is revealed. And the outstretched arms of the crucified Savior. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered, no no matter how many times you've given up on the faith, This morning, I'm urging you to turn to the Lord Jesus in faith.
turn to the Lord Jesus and find forgiveness. We come to the Lord's table this morning and we want to remember, we want to celebrate. Look, we are guilty. There's no hiding that. We, we are guilty. The smell of smoke lingers and we know we've got no other hope than for someone else to bear our burdens. Thanks be to Jesus Christ who bears away our sin. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Listen, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching on, on social media, if you have believed this message, if the arm of the Lord has been revealed to you, take and eat. good and we continue on with the with the elements but i want to just ask a quick question and um what if i told you that what i found in this bottle is the cure to the coronavirus i would be rich number one but um but everybody would want this everybody would want the cure to the coronavirus they would want what this is all about right there but it's it's not um it's water in a salt shaker in case you're wondering, that's what it is. Um, but it looks fancy and would be, you know, something that it might be the cure for that. But, but the thing is, what's in that bottle isn't going to heal you. And, and Brett just very clearly displayed to us what Jesus did on that cross, what he went through and what happened on that cross. And, and we took time to consider that and think about that. And now we have a chance to understand why would he do that? Why would that happen? Is it so he can give us the cure for the coronavirus? No, not specifically. But it's to give us the cure for what caused the coronavirus, which is specifically sin. See, we live in a broken world where broken people all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, we're all in desperate need of healing. We're in desperate need of hope. We're in desperate need of something that would cure because coronavirus is not the first virus that ever covered the whole world. That was sin. And it needed a savior. It didn't need a vaccine. It didn't need a shot of something. It needed a person and it needed a price to be paid. So God took action in that to, to cover the cost of sin. And so Isaiah 53, 6, jumping back in there to reinforce what's been said, it tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And I don't think that's an arguable point. See, because human nature, our default is selfishness. We turn to what we want. That's our default. It's easy. If we don't like something, we turn to what we like. We turn to what we want. We turn to what makes us feel good. That's not the way God designed it, but that's the way sin plays it out. And it says all of us have turned to our own way. And there's a cost for that, right? Because the wages of sin is death. You know this, but we don't take it as serious as we should. We don't recognize that literally we have died millions of times and Jesus has brought us back. Because our sin deserves death. And that price hasn't changed. 
And so what has gone on with that? What has happened? God took the action. The rest of verse 6. After the sheep have gone astray, we've turned to our own way. And it says this. And the Lord laid on him, on Jesus. The Lord laid on him the sin of us all. Now, to me, that verse does not clearly portray the image of what took place, at least not to me, the way I read that. When I read that, it says that the, the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. And it's easy to say, well, he just kind of tucked him in a little bit. He just pulled the covers up. He got him a little weighted blanket so he'd feel safe. See, God didn't tuck him into the cross. It wasn't a gentle little, you'll be okay. It wasn't that at all. If you want to look at anything, he was completely overwhelmed. He was smothered. It wasn't one blanket that he just laid and hope he's comfortable on the cross. It's every blanket ever made piled on top of him at the same time. That's what our sin did to our Savior. It smothered him to the point that God himself had to turn his back on his own son in that moment when he took all of our sin. And that's why it went black at three o'clock in the afternoon. God said, if I can't look at him, neither can you. Bam, lights out. And he took the sin of every man that would ever live on his body in that moment. So it wasn't a gentle blanket that was laid on him. He did not get tucked into the cross. He was nailed to it and smothered to it with our sin. That is significant for us to understand. And how did it feel? Verse 5 tells us he was pierced. It says in what? It says wounded in another translation for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. This was not a pleasant experience. It was brutal and it was life changing. And we can't get past that. And where is the good news in all of this? Well, at the end of verse five, Brett read it. And by his stripes, we are healed. Or the NIV says, by his wounds, we are healed. Because of the pain that he went through, we have hope for healing. Which doesn't make sense in our logical minds, in our earthly suits that we live in. In order for someone else to be healed, someone different has to go through pain. So this brutal death keeps me from pain. And that's what he's saying happened right there. See, because these elements that we have, this waters of baptism that we just saw these kids go through, there's nothing magical about that. Taking the Lord's Supper doesn't get you to heaven. Getting baptized doesn't get you to heaven. Those are incredible, holy moments, and they're significant for us to have, but they're not magical. This isn't a quick fix to our problems. Hey, I'm having a hard time right now. Let me take a piece of bread and a shot of juice and everything's going to be okay. Like that's, that's not how this works. It isn't drive through, feel better church. And, and, and we live that way so much in all of this stuff. And it's a holy moment that's here, but not because of the elements. The elements are a different reason. And let me explain. Because when Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he gathered all the disciples up, right? And he had them there and they're hanging out. And he said the, the bread that was broken. And he said the cup that's there. And then he said these six words. Do this in remembrance of me. Those were the six reasons, the six words that give us the reason for why we do what we do. And he says, keep doing this until I come back. Why do we need to keep doing this? We don't take the Lord's Supper so we can get something. We take the Lord's Supper so we can remember what we've already been given. We do this in remembrance of what Jesus did. We don't do it so that he has to go to the cross again. Jesus does not have to go to the cross every time we sin. Thank God. 
He went once and for all, for every sin. All the sin was laid on him. All of it, blanket after blanket after blanket that completely suffocated him. Our sin killed him. So we don't do this so that we get something out of this. We do this to remember what he's already given. What has he given us? By his stripes, we are healed. He's given us the cure. He's given us the hope. And it's his body and his blood that he did that for us. By his stripes, we are healed. He went through the pain so that we could be whole. So that we could be healed. Now, let me just give you the one piece of maybe bad news in all of this. Or maybe it's just new news to you. You don't get to define what healed means. See, when we think about healed, we default again to the physical. Heal me of this situation. Heal me of this cancer. Heal me of this whatever's going on. And we think in the physical realm. When, when my dad was dying of cancer and just a few weeks ago walking through uh, with Carl and Jeannie and Derek and Jamie and Kitskis and, and what's going on, there was a moment as we prayed for healing that we had to let God define what healed means. And my definition means get up and come walk and do life again with me. And God's definition was get up and come live with me. Both of them equal healed. So we don't get to define healed. When he says by his stripes we are healed, you don't get to define that. God defines what healed looks like. And it may be on the other side of heaven. And I don't say that to disappoint you or scare you, but I want you to know that's what it is. By his stripes, my dad was healed. By his wounds, Mr. Tisdale was healed. And it didn't look the way we wanted to from our initial prayers. God had to teach us through that to let him define healing. And he did in his way. But I know there's more. There's emotional healing and relational healing. But most of that healing has a root in forgiveness. Most of it comes from the forgiveness that you heard Brett talk about earlier. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why is the cup so important? Because it represents the blood of Jesus. And the blood is what brings healing. It's by his stripes we are healed. And the healing comes from that. And relational, emotional, mental healing that can come, it's going to come through the blood. It's going to come through us remembering the blood. It's going to come through us responding to that. Ephesians 1, 7 says this in him, which is Jesus in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, his extravagant, scandalous grace that went beyond what we deserve, beyond what we could ever do on our own. And he extends it to us over and over and over again. That's the incredible thing about God is he doesn't give up on us. We make this decision. We want to do this and we get baptized. Here's the thing. Every one of those kids that got baptized today, you know what they're going to do before they go to bed tonight? They're probably going to sin. They're still forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't change. We never have to question whether we've been forgiven. Every drop of blood from Jesus proved God's commitment to both justice and forgiveness. We just need to remember. That's why he said over and over, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to give you something significant to do so you can remember. Because when we forget, we get hurt. When we forget, we get lazy. When we forget, we get selfish. But when we remember, we get broken. We get humbled and we get healed. 
Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what our world is screaming for right now? Give me something that can heal. The answer is already here. We just need to remember. And so I'm going to ask you to open your cup with me as we remember. And I'm going to give you a few seconds in silence to remember. To say thank you in your heart. To confess to whatever you need to do. Or maybe you need to meet Jesus for the first time. You're like, this is a crazy guy. He did all that for me. I need to know him. I just don't need to know about him. I need to know him. And if you want to know him, let's talk. But we're going to give you a few seconds in silence. And then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to take this cup together in remembrance. So take a few seconds.